mini-episode 1117 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at Sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode number 1117. We have a great panel here today for our 2019 Stanley Cup Final Preview. We always uh, look forward to doing this every year and a constant in our coverage every year. I don't know that we've done any, uh, one of these without you, uh, Russ Cohen, but uh, our, one of our good friends, longest-running FDH Lounge dignitaries, proprietor of Sportsology, author of numerous books, many in the field of hockey, including the Winter Classic. Always uh, look forward to doing this with you, uh, Russ. We have some great company this year uh, on this as well, but uh, glad to have you back as well. Yeah, thanks. Always always fun to do it, Rick. My pleasure. Always a, a high point of the year, no question about it. And uh, another gentleman who uh, I understand has been on our show's radar for a period of time, so happy to get him in here today on the subject of the 2019 Stanley Cup Final. He has worked for a number of of NHL teams over the years in his capacity uh, as an executive. Uh, he has done many, many uh, interesting uh, things on the business side of different franchises, and uh, he has a lot of expertise as far as how franchises come together and operate on a day-to-day basis. He has done this, of course, outside of the hockey world as well, in baseball, and uh, a very well-rounded, very well-qualified sports executive. Steve Violetta presently Corporate Partnership Sales and Service Vice President for the Edmonton Oilers. Steve, it's a pleasure to get you on the show today. Thank you for being a part of our preview. Rick, glad to be a part of it. Uh, I wish the Oilers were in the Stanley Cup final, and I could have told you I was too busy to do this, but maybe next year. (laughs) (laughs) You have a great foundational piece. I mean, that's the first thing you can always ask for. I mean... When you got a guy like uh, McDavid sitting there, I mean, that is a thing where, again, my Red Wings and uh, most other teams in the league don't have a piece like that to start with. So uh, certainly a very good starting position for you guys if you can kind of move off of there. Well, I think so, and I'd love to hear Russ's thoughts on it too. But uh, you know, arguably we've got the best three centers that any team in the NHL can throw up. And everybody knows Connor, of course. But Leon Draisaitl had 51 goals last year. Then uh, – uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins scored 70 points for a career high. It's just a matter of getting some guys to play on the wings with these guys. Yeah, yeah no doubt. I mean, up the middle, you're strong. Uh, I really hope Taylor Yamamoto can get in there this year. That would help because he's got a lot of speed on the wing. Uh, you do you do have some other guys. I, I don't know. Maybe Tyler Benson will end up having a play like the fourth team, but then that would give you another good center. But he had a really good year. He had a little bit of defense, some good free agency. Kevin Bouchard having a good summer. Things could get a lot better. Very much so. And, Steve, I'm so, I'm very glad you mentioned. I mean, I'm not surprised because it's one of the next things, obviously, that you would mention. But very glad you mentioned Dreisaitl because 
it's a symptom, I think, of today's world where we tend to get down on these young players too soon. I mean, there, there was a sense of, like, why didn't this guy become something bigger at, at an earlier point here? It's not always a straight line forward in terms of progression. The guys like Connor and McDavid spoil us. Guy, guys like Leon, sometimes it takes a little bit, and then they burst out of the, uh, the starting gates uh, and, and kind of get going back in the right direction again. Like you said, 51 goals. What an incredible talent. It was certainly a breakout year for him, and you know he did it in a, in a very efficient uh, manner, good on the power play, but scored some big, even-strength goals as well. He gets a little more frustrated, I think, than a player of his caliber should get sometimes, but he's young, too. We forget how young this Oilers team is every once in a while. you got to remind yourself, guys like Connor are 21 years old, and uh, you know they got the weight of the world on their shoulders. So, But we had a good year, and again, it's a matter of getting somebody to play on the wing with him as well. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I feel vindicated uh, by the way that Leon broke out because I never really kind of understood uh, why there were uh, some folks in the media and elsewhere kind of turning on him. And good to see that he was able to show what he's made of, and I'm sure he's going to keep doing that going forward. And uh, if that's the case, uh, Edmonton will be back uh, where they were in the 80s and uh, as recently as 2006 right here in the Stanley Cup Final for this year. It is Boston and St. Louis, and uh, I know this always uh, gets a pop out of Russ here as far as relevance to the subject matter, but uh, in terms of the notes and oddities of the cities involved in this, uh, this is a very rich vein here because you're talking about the big four sports in North America, the only two cities to have met uh, on the final uh, battle of uh, competition in all four of the major sports. And uh, you could probably win a lot of bar bets on that because you'd probably get a lot of people thinking uh, a New York-Boston combo might do it or some of the other ones. Nope. Uh, You start with, uh, again, the NBA, 1957, Celtics over Hawks, 1960 and 61, Celtics over Hawks, 1958 in the middle, of course, when the Hawks were still in St. Louis beating the Celtics in MLB, 1946 and 1967, Cardinals over the Red Sox, 2004-2013, the opposite results as the Red Sox win. 2001, Patriots over Rams, 2018, Patriots over Rams. Oh, wait a minute, Rams had gone back to L.A. a couple of years previous, so that was not uh, one of these instances. And, of course, 1970, the most relevant to this Uh, if you want to call it relevant, the Bruins over the Blues in four straight, the last time that the Blues were actually in the Stanley Cup final. And, uh, again, that was uh, part of a great run for Boston. And, uh, again, the the end of the last great run that they really, really had before the 2010, so that these teams kind of mirror each other again. Uh, Of course, Boston getting back here a little bit quicker, 2011 and 2013, winning the first time losing the second. Russ, what do these uh, results uh, from uh, Big Four Sports uh, have to tell us specifically? What does it inform us about this year's matchup? Well, I mean, it definitely tells me St. Louis got a lot younger in net now than they were in 70. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a big plus for them. Yeah. Jordan Bennington's a lot younger. <laughs> so that's, that's a plus. Uh, I can't really comment on the Cardinals because I have a uh, strong dislike for Whitey Herzog, John Tudor, there's okay. so big Todd Burrell, there's such a long list that I won't get into it, but they are great sports fans, and there are fans that will travel. It's interesting that uh, St. Louis fans really have supported their hockey team all this time and waiting for this, and they've been building, and then, you know, we'll get into, you know, how this year was for them, but, you know, that part of the country, they do like hockey, they really stuck with it, 
it'd be nice if they can get a payoff. Will they get a payoff? Well, I guess we'll chat about that too. But Boston, you know, they, they have everything coming right now. They're, they're in that, you know, when I was six years old, there was that stuff happening in New York where everybody was winning, you know, the Mets won in, well, the Jets won in, you know, the 1968-69 season, right? So they won in 69, but it was the 68 season. The Mets won. The Knicks won. You know, that's so... I did experience that as a little, little kid, and then later in life, teams were in it, but not everybody won. So I've seen some championships, nothing like what Boston's done and, you know, what you mentioned about the Patriots, who I don't really want to talk about, <laughs> but I have to give them credit. So, you know, in regards to the fandom, I think a real, this is a really good match, and actually uh, it's nice to see that the Blues have a little bit of a celebrity fans too because that's something where I wasn't really expecting that you know Jenna Fisher that's kind of an interesting thing with the you know the whole little author thing with her and Krasinski right. Krasinski is actually a Blues fan a Bruins fan and she's the Blues fan right so you, you know you have that and, and John Hamm has been a long time Blues fan and thankfully he kind of looks like a normal guy when they're showing him and he's actually unshaven and he doesn't look like this perfect guy so that's that's good, too. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. And uh, I think we know that uh, were she still alive, which unfortunately she's not, Laura Branigan would be a Blues fan today. Right. Yeah, no question about it. And, uh, Steve, uh, turn to you on this one and uh, get your thoughts again. You've, you've worked in uh, some great and passionate sports uh, cities over a period of time. Uh, again, we're, we're up front about our biases on this show. I pretty much loathe all things Boston, which means it's been a long 21st century for me in all sports, uh, and so it continues here. But, uh, again, a very passionate fan base. St. Louis, who I don't have anything against, uh, they're a very passionate fan base in all of their sports. And uh, certainly for, from that point of view, again, you, you've seen so many different things on, on the business end of things. And, again, as far as fan bases go and, uh, you know, money to be made by the, uh, the teams involved here, uh, you, you got to think, again, everybody is just as fired up as they can be in both cities. Well, any time you get to the final, it's, uh, it's a special thing. And I'm lucky to have one ring in my career with the Red Wings back in 08 uh, when we beat Pittsburgh and then lost the next year uh, in, in, in seven games in 09. But... I've got one ring, and see you go through that whole playoff run and play 13, 14 playoff games at home, let alone the road games. Uh, you really don't realize what that means to the bottom line. And you don't realize what it means to the players, though. The, you know, as everybody knows, the Red Wings made the playoffs for 25, 26 years in a row until they've missed it three years in a row. You start adding up how many extra games these Red Wing guys played over the years to the playoff games. So they played an extra season and half some of those guys just in playoff games. So it does catch up with the players, but to get a chance to keep that cup and lift that cup above their head after winning it, they would uh, trade that any time for No question about it. You'll, uh, you'll, you'll worry about the ramifications later on. That's an excellent point, Steve. Uh, to, to kind of start our coverage of the actual final itself, what I'm going to circle around to and get you guys' thoughts on this we had posted this at FantasyDraftHelp.com, our sister site, going into the Stanley Cup playoffs, taking a look at our ultimate quantitative baseline, something that we had started doing in fantasy in the different sports. We've now come up with the different team rankings. And in this sense, it's just putting it all in a blender, adding up the ratings in a, def- a couple of different areas. What's interesting is on my prognostication for the playoffs, while I've been 8-6 and six 
going through, which is which probably puts me in the top one percentile worldwide. I got to say, for as many upsets as we've had, I think I was like three and five in the first round, uh, which was uh, again brutal, but maybe not as brutal as everybody else. I picked Tampa Bay over Calgary in the final, so I was way off. But if I had just gone by these rankings, gentlemen. The rankings, Boston was second in our rankings for this year. St. Louis was third. Had I gone by this, I would have at least had St. Louis in the final, if not for Boston. And uh, let's let's look at how they, they shook out overall in this. In terms of our final regular season power rankings, Boston was second, St. Louis was seventh. We have a metric that is half power rankings and half uh, strength of schedule based on the uh, who you played in your division. Boston was 11th, St. Louis was 8th, but Boston, again, they have the edge in most of the categories. Power play percentage regular season, Boston 3rd, St. Louis 10th. Penalty kill, Boston 16th, St. Louis 9th. In terms of the Corsi, Boston 6th and St. Louis 10th. Shooting percentage, Boston 12th, St. Louis 15th. Save percentage, Boston 7th, St. Louis 13th. Even strength goals, Boston 19th, St. Louis 16th. So neither of them that great there, but even strength goals against, Boston 2nd, St. Louis 7th. Not too many uh, wide spans between the two teams in any of the categories here. So uh, I'm going to start with you, Russ. Anything that really kind of jumps out you as I'm doing that litany? Well, I mean... It definitely, did you say this was done preseason or? Coming into the playoffs, so for the regular season. Coming into the playoffs, okay. So, yeah, things changed drastically for the Blues, there's no question about it. When when Bennington went in there compared to Jake Allen, they would have been a lot worse in some of these other categories had it still been Jake Allen. So they did get better in a lot of them. The the even strength with the Blues, uh, with the Bruins is interesting because, you know, that just shows how good of a year Tuka Rask has had, even though a lot of the fans beat him up early and, and wanted Yarrow Halak to be the number one. It's a good thing fans don't run the team because the Bruins have done the right thing keeping Rask in there because he's the best goalie right now in the playoffs. So that, that sort of jumps out. Nothing else really jumped out because I think dynamics will always just, it's like a boxing match. Dynamics will change as the matchup occurs between the two, and this is just basically on the whole season, but I do think the goaltending is, is the big thing to watch here. It very much is. That's an excellent point about Jordan Bennington. And again, the coaching change that St. Louis made in midseason, and again, when people are talking about the worst record in the league, we do our yep. power rankings twice a month during the regular season, and I specifically remember I had the Blues at 31 in one of those bi-monthly power <laughs> rankings. So to have them here at this point, yeah, these numbers – it's not often you can say that the numbers lie, but they're pretty deceptive for St. Louis because it's only yeah. really what they did in the second half of the season that's relevant to right now. It was a different coach, different primary goalie early on, so the numbers kind of lie. Because when you add all of them up, Boston, in the way that this goes, the lower the number, the better, obviously, right? So Boston 78, St. Louis 89. When you look at how much better St. Louis was the second half of the season, if it had just been isolated to that, perhaps they'd have even had a better overall number uh, than Boston did. So, uh, Steve, I'm going to turn to you in terms of the different things here. Uh, again, you, you've got, uh, you know, Boston showing maybe a little bit of mediocrity on the penalty kill at 16th. I mean, that's not horrible, but and then even strength goals, 19th. There's not too many chinks in the armor of Boston. That's about as close as we come in looking at this, but... Any of the numbers I mentioned, anything really kind of jump out at you? Well, I want to go back to the Tampa Bay comment real quick for a second. Yeah. I'm not going to tell your listeners that I predicted Tampa would lose in the first round, but what I did say 
to several people, including friends of mine with the Lightning, is I hate being on a team that was never challenged during the season going into the playoffs. And I just felt that lack of uh, having to overcome any kind of obstacles. And, and I just thought that was going to catch up with them sooner or later. I didn't think it'd catch up with them in the first round. But that just goes to show you the uh, NHL is a league of the big four. Their playoff season versus their regular season uh, is the most dramatically different. And St. Louis, obviously, everybody knows they were a last-place team around uh, New Year's Day and, and went on a big run to not only make the playoffs and make the final now, but um, I, I, I'm looking at the playoff stats right now, which is that whole different second season. And one thing that jumps out at me is Boston's goals scored versus goal, uh, goals against differential. Boston's a plus 24 in 17 playoff games. St. Louis is a plus 9 in 19 playoff games. Tells me the Bruins have a little bit of an edge there. I think it's going to be a great series of those six or seven. That's a great point, by the way, and excellent, excellent anticipation on your part because that was in my notes. That was one of the things we were going to get to next, so I'll, I'll stick with you on that specific point there. But, uh, Steve, I will, I will say this. There are some things that are universal, and, again, my 2017 and 2018 Cleveland Indians know a thing or two about what Tampa Bay just went through as well. Yeah, when you are beating the also-rans in your division by 500 laps, yeah, it, it is a little bit of a different thing once the playoffs start. It's hard to turn it on and off. These guys are pros. Everybody knows that. But, you know, if you don't face that adversity and that challenge and have to look each other in the eye in the locker room going into the third period of a game you got to win, then uh, that just really, I think, sets you up for failure somewhere down the road in the playoffs. Um, Boston, you know, I like them probably. Um, they've got this cast of older guys. It's probably their last go-around. You know, Bergeron and Chira and, you know, Marshawn and They've got a few years left, but this may be their last uh, grab at the brass ring. Uh, I like their defense and their goaltending a little bit better, believe it or not, overall. And last but not least, they start with the first two games at home, which can be huge. Well, the question I'm going to pose to each of you guys, and I'll start with you, Steve, because as I said, you anticipated this. It, the one thing with Boston with the goal differential, because I'm I'm sitting here, nobody can see me doing this, but I'm making the on the one hand, on the other hand gesture, and I'm curious as to what you guys think weighs stronger in this. Not that either of these things is necessarily the determinative factor, but those, these are huge factors, huge advantages that each team has. For Boston, as you said, an almost historic goal differential advantage at this point. Uh, one of the very best of the 21st century of any of the playoff teams in there. So they've got that. And then St. Louis, on the other hand, they have a big advantage in terms of the whole rest v. rust kind of uh, balance here. And St. Louis is going to have some days off, probably just enough to, to get a little healthier, but not enough to get rusty. Boston has to worry about the rust because teams that are off as long as they have been historically uh, have uh, not done as well, or at least have gotten off to a rougher start. So isolating it just to those two factors, uh, Steve, uh, which team do you think uh, benefits more from their advantage? I think the long layoff would bother me more if I had a younger team, uh, but with a veteran team like Boston, I'm, I'm not worried about that. And I, and I just look at their goaltending with Rask and how he's been. I, I you know, uh, the St. Louis kids got all the ink, but I think Rask, for my opinion, has been the best goalie in the playoffs. He's a He's 3-0 and in elimination games, and he stopped 95 of 96 shots in elimination games. So when the money's on the line, um, uh, he, he's been money yes. for sure this year. 
and he's played many, many, many big games over the years, no question about it. Uh, and again, his his chance to uh, hoist the cup as a lead goalie here for Boston, and uh, that is something that he would definitely cherish. Yeah, I'm going to turn to you, Russ, looking at this here. So again, Boston on the one hand, the overwhelming goal differential advantage. On the other hand, St. Louis with a much better situation, at least on paper, in terms of getting just enough rest without getting rusty. Which of those two things you think might play more? Well, interestingly enough, teams that have rested more this year really haven't fared well. Now, I get the getting guys on the men thing. That is good. But they've laid off longer. They have to have those practices to sort of like have scrimmages to sort of, you know, get it going again. And then it's hard. You're going to definitely, any Boston is going to feel it, even game one, a little bit, the rust, a little bit more. That said, I don't think it's going to be anything dramatic. But this year has sort of proven uh, to be the counter. That's an excellent point. And uh, so, again, I'm going to follow up, and I'm going to start with you, Russ, since you brought that up, is that I have the sense this year, and to me this is not really necessarily a good thing for the product, but these playoffs, and again, it's hard to argue against the two teams that made it to the finals, especially Boston with the path they went through, although, again, you could argue that they pulled a Pittsburgh Steelers who have never uh, been to the Super Bowl in the 21st century without somebody else knocking off the New England Patriots. Boston didn't have to go through Tampa Bay, but they, they, they did face some tough competition along the way. But when you look at things like uh, Carolina and the Islanders in the second round, Carolina sweeps the Islanders only to get swept by Boston. Isn't there just a weird kind of randomness to this year's playoffs, it seems like, with some of the outcomes we've seen? Maybe it's too much rest in some instances here. But there have been a lot of instances in this playoffs where what's happening in the one series hasn't carried over to the next for various teams. Yeah, I think I, rest, you know too much rest is a little part of it. I, I also just think that parity is a big deal, the way the matchups were. You know, sometimes just a matchup is no good for a team, and while they look like a world beater the last round, the next round they don't. Uh, you know, it's a sport of attrition, so certainly key injuries are always going to be a factor here, and... You know, St. Louis looks like they're going to have one of Vince done, whether he gets out there or not. And to me, maybe at the beginning of the year, nobody would have thought it's a big deal. But in the playoffs, it's been a key. It's now turned into a key injury for them. So uh, I think it's, it's it's a little bit of rest and a, and, a, and a lot of parity, and that's been what's made it really difficult. I think I'm like one game under 500 for the uh, for the playoffs, and it may be two. And if, you know, that's is the case, which I think it is. It, it's pretty miraculous because. Even if you got it all right and you knew and you picked the right teams, the way it happened, you could have drawn it up. Oh, exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and Steve, let me get your thoughts on this because, again, all four number one seeds going out in the first round. And so you got a deal where. Ultimately, in, in looking at this again, it does it does feel awfully random. It feel, you know a team will sweep one series only to get swept in the next round. So uh, again, I, I'm kind of a traditionalist. It kind of rubs me a little bit the wrong way when I kind of see randomness in there. A little bit of OCD on my part as well too. But are you getting any kind of a random vibe as far as how some of the results have shaken out leading up to the final? Well, I, I'm, certainly the first round was like that. I mean, everybody talks about Tampa getting swept by Columbus and. Pittsburgh getting swept by the Islanders, but you know we had two teams in Canada here with Calgary uh, and Winnipeg that we thought would both would make some noise uh, and go fairly deep in the playoffs. But Winnipeg didn't play well down the stretch in the regular season, and St. Louis knocked them out in the first round. And Calgary really never got it going against the average Colorado team, and uh, they, they got knocked out in the first round too. It's just been one of those years. But at the end of the day, you look at the final. You know Boston deserves to be there. 
They've had a good regular season. They're a veteran team. They know how to win. And St. Louis was the hottest team in the league for the second half of the season. So I'll go with what the final played out. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, I think, a very fascinating uh, final. Uh, I have a question. I'm going to start this one here with Russ because this is something that we've talked about through the years here and that, again, uh, frequently, and particularly if you're looking at the totality of it, uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs v. the NBA playoffs, that the Stanley Cup playoffs have uh, a lot of times uh, been a better kind of a deal. And I can admit that even uh, as a, a Cavs fan after my years of glory the last couple of years here. But as far as an overall product, I, again, I would guess, Russ, that I think the gap between the two is a little narrower than you do. I think that's a probably fair guess on my part in terms of uh, the, the quality of it and everything. But w- one of the things I was struck in looking at here, and I couldn't find anything anywhere online to back up my sense of this, of who's been the favorite historically coming into the finals. So I just kind of went by an eyeball test going back over a period of time that which team has played more Uh, big games deep in the playoffs in recent years. And so this is a very unscientific thing. Sometimes teams look about even. Sometimes one team has a big advantage over the other team. I looked at, you go back to maybe Chicago in 2010 against Philadelphia. Chicago was a pretty young team that broke through. Besides that, i got to go back to what's a bad memory for me uh, in 95 with New Jersey and Detroit. I look at it and, like, to me, Maybe this is one of those things in retrospect. The finals have played out, I think, pretty predictably over a period of time. And again, in my case, a lot of times it's teams this decade I don't like. Chicago, Pittsburgh, uh, Boston. But almost every time I look at it and I go, oh, crap, that's going to happen. I mean, I know I picked against Chicago in 2015 because I thought Tampa Bay could get it done. Last year, you and I differed on it. I thought Vegas was a team of destiny. I thought they'd finish it off. But I freely admit in my gut, I knew I I was going against my gut, I should say, and going against Washington. If you're just doing the eyeball test, the eyeball test here tells you Boston. They've played many more big games this decade than have uh, St. Louis. The eyeball test, if you go back over a period of time, makes the finals, I think, a lot more predictable than, than many people would say. Yeah, I think that's that. And you have to look at the composition of the team. A lot of times teams pick up players that have been through these games, but they did it on other teams. Right. So the Boston core certainly has done it, but they're older. St. Louis has picked up a lot of players from other teams. And, I, you know, me being a prospect guy, I'll, I'll also say I think it's important that Guys have done it on the junior level, and guys like Tarasenko on the world junior level. So, because yeah, I think success is success, and you know, games that are uh, on the line are, are a big deal no matter what. And you know, Tarasenko played more of the biggest ever, really. I mean, you think about it—the comeback uh, that Russia made. So, I don't know if I can give Boston too much of an edge on this one. Maybe just slight, but that's it. And again, you know, me personally, uh, with my biases, I'd love to pick against Boston, but uh, spoiler alert, I'm not going to be inclined because I always pick with my my head instead of my heart. And uh, again, they have to be aligned, basically, for me to make such a pick here. Uh, I'm going to turn to you on this, Steve, because again, I think all of us looking at this have a gut feeling that Boston has a lot of the edges. And again, I'm just isolating it, I suppose, to big game experience because St. Louis has been as far as the Western Conference Finals three years ago, but beyond that, they haven't really been deep into the playoffs that many times this decade. Boston has. So this feels very familiar to me where I'm looking at one of the two teams and they seem like 
the, the better team, at least in that regard. And like I said, I don't always use that as my metric. I suppose I will from now on, now that it's occurred to me. But are you having a similar feeling in looking at this, of like that one of the two teams in that way, like, okay, this team's played bigger games, they've been more successful in this regard, and that that's kind of played out over a period of time? In other words, does this feel like a familiar finals to you, looking back at uh, some of the past ones, at least of this decade? I think it does, and I think that points to, to Boston at the end of the day. Um, I've been in the business since 86, 1986, not 1886. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And uh, if there's one thing I've noticed, particularly with hockey, is you really don't win the first time you get there. And those Red Wing teams of the early 80s had to learn by getting beat by Edmonton a few times before they got into the 90s and won some cups. And, you know, uh, Vegas went a long way last year, but they that was an aberration, I think. You really don't see a team that hasn't been close to the finals or in the finals actually win the cup without getting close and losing a couple times. Pittsburgh went through that, you know, in the uh, in the early Lemieux days, and even with Sydney. So, so I think everything points to to, to Boston. Uh, having said that, there is this thing called the team of destiny, and with everything that's happened in St. Louis, with the, the you know the Gloria theme song and the team coming together and um, being the best team in the second half of the year, you know, you, you look at every once in a while you get these teams of destiny. Like I don't remember the exact year, but the the curvy pucket Minnesota twin Homer Hankey guy. Right? Yeah, you just knew they were going to win the series that year, no matter who they played. Yeah, just the team of destiny. That's an excellent point, and uh, again, a very good point as well uh, in there about uh, the the experience of before you finally break through and get it done, because we hear this so much more about the NBA. People talk about it, and that's been one of the things, and I, I thought it was really overblown when people were, were talking about it this year with Milwaukee, that, OMG, look at uh, where they got last year versus where they are this year. Obviously, without LeBron in the Eastern Conference, it's a different landscape for Milwaukee, as they've been proving. So, you know, in the NBA, I think that's sometimes overstated. In the NHL, I think it's sometimes understated as far as the experience to break through and a very good point on your part. So I'm going to start with you here. Before we get to our final uh, predictions and thoughts on this here, anything that you think is sort of an underplayed element as we're heading into this? We've had a couple days of talk, a couple days of early analysis, but uh, anything that you think is a particularly important factor coming into this series that maybe we're not giving enough attention to? I think uh, if I had to point to one thing, I I look at Boston's balanced scoring, and maybe that's because we don't have it in Edmonton. But, you know, everyone talks about the top line with Bergeron and Marchand and Pasternak. And, you know, everybody talks about those guys, those three guys, and rightfully so. But when you start digging into the stat sheet, they're really well balanced uh, on, their, on their forward lines and even on the back line when it comes to scoring. And that can be a big difference, especially in the playoffs, especially in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, you know, you shut down that big line for a couple games of Boston's and St. Louis would have a good chance to win the Cup. Having said that, if their secondary scoring keeps going, then um, you know, Boston's going to be okay. And that's what it takes to win. You need guys like, you know, I'll throw the Red Wing thing at you here, Rick. You need guys like Dallas Drake to score big goals in the, yep. in the finals. You need guys coming out of nowhere. Uh-huh. So. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, I'm thinking back to the uh, the glory days of the uh, the grind line when there was grind line bobbleheads uh, at uh, Little Caesars. So uh, 
you know, yeah, rolling four deep, I mean, in the, in the pre-cap era, that used to be more of a thing, but you're right. It's a lot more rare these days, and that goes back to the P word that Russ used before with parity, that it's harder to stack up the four lines like that. Uh, and that, again, Boston is a fairly deep team, as is St. Louis, and that's one of the reasons that they're here at this point. So, uh, really, uh, excellent uh, point there on what we should look for, I think. And, uh, Russ, I know you are up to any uh, challenge, so follow that. Well, I, I think maybe the uh, center battle with Patrice Bergeron and Ryan O'Reilly. Ooh. I mean, O'Reilly, you know, begged out of Buffalo, and now he's really into it. Like, if he can win that battle, he might be able to help his team win a cup. It's, it's a huge task yeah. because Bergeron's going to be out there 21 minutes. He's the best player in the playoffs, and he, and he kills you defensively as well as offensively. But O'Reilly's really known for faceoffs and defense as well, and if he can win that battle, that would go a long way for his team. And I think the other big battle, if you just look at the blue lines, and, and again, I think Vince Dunn is a, a loss, but Wartuzo is a, a pretty good villain to have. St. Louis does have a little edge on the blue line. There's no question in my mind. They, their size and speed and, and legs are, are better than Boston's at this point. Chara, you know, into the middle of the series, definitely gets winded. You can't have him out there as long. McAvoy has done great. There's no question about it. And Grizzlick as well. But these are guys that... Have crude. They're a little bit, they're a little bit smaller. St. Louis is a little bit bigger, but also has the same speed. So you know, your things are sort of equal. And speed is speed. You, you would always go for the bigger ones over the smaller ones, just simply because they might be up to handling the task of the forwards that are coming at them. So I think the uh, the St. Louis blue line, which a lot of people counted as dead, they all traded Peter Angelo and they didn't trade him. They all traded Jay Bowmeister. Actually, then we found out Bowmeister was playing from an injury an injury from last year and then he got extended and, and he's played great like it, it's been a big resurgence for him and I think Joel Edmondson you know who the hell talks about him ever but he, these guys make big plays at big times they have long reach and they and they're able to block a lot of shots and I think that really helps a young goalie in Jordan Bear. Absolutely, and for Bowmeister to get a chance to lift the cup at basically 11:59 in his career. Uh, and for a guy who came into the league so highly touted, and again hasn't been a franchise player, but uh, has had so I gotta a stop you there, solid career. I was yeah, that draft, right? Yeah. That was my first draft. Really? Okay. And and, and Jay Bowieser, they were actually that no, was my second draft, and they were counting him. Some people were touting him as the next Bobby Moore, and I am wow. As a prospect guy, I learned a long time ago. I don't compare anybody to anybody. I always say, hey, this guy's the first that guy, and. Yeah. He does a few things like somebody, but they were counting him to be Bobby Orr. And it's like, he, nobody should ever have that hanging on him. And, and I think he's had a really great career, considering, but, but that just sort of made me crazy. Same thing as Rick Nash. I mean, Rick Nash was, you know, getting the Mario Lemieux vibe, and it's like, nobody should ever get compared to Mario Lemieux. And Nash also had a nice career, but he was never going to be as close Well, it's not, and I'm not going to mention the name of who the guy is from Cleveland Media because he's a nice guy, and I, I wouldn't want to embarrass him. But there was a guy many years ago on the air hockey-splaining to his audience, uh, and his quote was, Rick Nash, he's like the LeBron James of hockey. And I was just punching <laughs> myself in the head listening to this, you know. So <laughs> comparisons, whatever comparisons you've ever made, Russ, are surely far less inane than that one. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that, that's about as bad as it gets. But, uh, 
in terms of uh, what we think it's going to be for uh, the outcome here, uh, I'll put it out there again. Not what I'm hoping for, because I'm hoping to hear, uh, first of all, I like the song, but second of all, uh, for the outcome it would be, I want to be here in Gloria playing triumphantly at the end of this thing. Don't think that it will be, uh, although I think St. Louis has maybe a better chance than some think. I don't think this is a gimme. I'm not one of these people who's going to be picking it in five, as I see in some quarters. I'll say Boston in six. Was tempted to go pasta for Con Smythe, but uh, I'll say Tuka Rosk. So uh, I'll turn to you, Steve. Uh, what's your sense of how it all plays out? I've got Boston uh, in seven. Uh, I, as I've said, I like their veteran makeup. Uh, I like the fact they've got the home uh, ice advantage. Uh, I think they're a little bit better up front. The time off, they will come out rusty in game one on Monday, but it's going to help the veteran guys. Uh, and when I look at St. Louis, you can, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they make a real good run at it here, but emotion uh, and quote-unquote destiny is only going to get you so far. And uh, with all re- you know, respect to the late Laura Brannigan and Gloria, they may have uh, wanted to go with a Destiny's Child song for, uh, for this playoff run. They really thought they had a chance. But uh, I've got the Bruins in, in seven, but I think it's going to be a great series, an exciting series. And I hope the U.S. TV networks uh, reflect that with viewership. I'm a little afraid of what the numbers are going to be because of the markets, but I think it's going to be great hockey. Well, it'll be, it'll be strong on the East Coast end, I would think, particularly further and up in there. Buffalo. It's always good in Buffalo. Right? In Buffalo, True. yeah. They want, there's nothing else to do. Right. Right. I mean, and they're always like number three, no matter what. Right. No matter you know, St. Louis is going to be supersized, but but again, yeah, there's limitations there. I mean, how's it going to play? I mean, they're sitting right there on the Mississippi, so which begs the question: How's it going to play west of there? How's it going to play south of there? That, that those it's a very valid concern, uh, Steve. I mean, it's it's not as as bad as it could be otherwise, but yeah, I, my my final guess would be probably middle of the pack in terms of recent years numbers we'll have to see but I, I would guess it would probably place out better than some worse than others uh russ what's your sense of how it all plays out on the ice and if you want to hazard a guess on the tv ratings too go for it i think the tv ratings will fall probably shy of of last year but i think they'll fall in the middle i don't think it'll be the worst and definitely won't be the best but i think uh via digital marketing and everything with the nhl and i think at least it seems like more people now because of the apps for getting NBC at then, because no hotel ever has it when I'm on the road, never. Right. <laughs> uh, but it does seem like they, you know, online now, they have a little bit more um, availability with that, and, and also with ESPN3 and otherwise. So I think I think the ratings will be okay. Uh, I really was hoping Vince Dunn was going to look like he could play even middle of the series, but it's tough to play with a cage and a broken jaw. So I'm going to assume that he's either out or will play like in one game, maybe. Uh to me, it was a big deal because that's what really I felt like set St. Louis's defense just apart from any team in the playoffs. I mean, I just, I just, I was joking. I want to say about three or four weeks ago when we were all, you know, making picks for different teams at different times, and I was just like, you know, as much as I like Bennington the way they're playing, it wouldn't shock me if they made it to the Cup. And and so I'm not shocked that they're there. I just, I look at the matchups and and they. Boston's four lines are great. There's no question about it. St. Louis is a little bit streakier. I think Craig Marubi, who I, you know, obviously have covered here in Philly, has done way better than I thought he would. I give him a lot of credit, and I think he's even woken up Tarasenko. But Tarasenko, you know, has his ups and downs, and Jaden Schwartz might be the hottest goal scorer in the playoffs, but he's got to keep it up. I think he's got 12 goals. Those are big things to do, and ultimately, I think Boston is going to take it 
and seven. I will give it to Jake DeBrusque, though, for the uh, for the Con Smythe because I just feel like he's been scoring big goals and doing big things. He's a second generation player, and I really sort of like the way he's grown into uh, this season. I you know, I cover all the Winter Classic. I covered that one. He had that trapper hat on. He keeps wearing the trapper hat. People don't like understand it. I don't even know if he understands it. I think he just started wearing it because it was cold out. Um, for the outdoor game, and he's just kept it going. I just think weird things like that have sort of worked. I've covered Super West since the World Juniors, and, you know, Lee fans don't want to hear that, but whatever. Uh, I, I think this is, you know, his time, and I think he's well-deserving of it. And I think Boston did a great job of not overplaying him in the regular season, finally realizing that because he's a little slight of frame like a Ryan Miller, that, hey, there is a point where you can go off the cliff with him and he'll just run out of gas. He, he has not run out of gas. He's got like a 942 save percentage. So I really like the way it is. I do think this is going to be an epic cup. I I think it's going to end like June. If it goes 7, I think I saw June 12th or 14th. Yeah. Could be like the latest Stanley Cup that we've ever seen. And I'm all for that. Extend the hockey season. Yeah, why not? I mean, I, I think it would be uh, very entertaining to see it play out. I'd love to see it go seven games, and uh, you don't you don't get that uh, that often necessarily. The one game winner take all, the high stakes of it, and yeah, and that's a scenario I think that plays a little bit more into what you're talking about for the Con Smythe because you got a chance for a guy to be Mister Game Seven like Justin Williams always is, regardless of who he's playing for, and then that ends up being a thing where. That's somebody that can uh, sw- swoop in and take the con Smythe almost at the last minute there. So that's a scenario they could play out. And again, yeah, as far as uh, the, the, the top offense on both teams, uh, again, Tarasenko, uh, like you said, streaky, but uh, a, a really, really amazing talent, whether it be Marchand or Pasta on the other side here. Some top flight uh, scoring uh, as far as first lines go, but bleeding all the way down through the four lines. To, to varying degrees for both teams here. It is really going to be a classic final, I think. And, uh, again, wonderful to break it down with uh, both of you. Uh, Steve, again, a, a real pleasure to uh, get you on. Uh, again, was anticipating uh, getting you on for some time here. Uh, please don't be a stranger. It would be a pleasure to talk to you again about uh, hockey or really other things as well. Uh, I'd love to, anytime. Excellent. Thank you so much. And Russ Cohen. My good friend, uh, it never disappoints having you on here. Uh, I will uh, take the uh, the title that uh, our, apparently our commander-in-chief has bestowed upon himself and bestow it uh, instead upon you. You are a totally stable genius, Russ Cohen. <laughs> I really appreciate it. <laughs> appreciate it. Great to have both of you on, and thank you, everybody, today for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode number 1117. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, All Clear Channel Affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IamBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio, Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse, and The Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements. 